This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. Hi, this is Jen from Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen, and I'm here with Lynn. Good morning, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. It's going to be a tough one. <laughs> it's going to be an it's going to be a complex one, I'll say, because you know we're taking an issue that I think is very complex, and it's important to talk about. Yo, there's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about oh. this. So. We've been on hiatus for a while, and I'm excited to get back into this because obviously as we've been on hiatus, all these sexual things going on in our lives have not been, and so there's a lot to discuss. And one of the things I brought when I came back was talking to you about the whole situation between the woman named who is named in the article Grace and Aziz Ansari. And while I was away on vacation, I kind of took a media break and I didn't know what was going on. And this definitely was popping up all over my feed when I came back. And so I was like, okay, this is this is something that a lot of my friends and my friend group are talking about. And the other thing that, uh, you, that I saw while you were gone and we were taking the break uh, was the article uh, in Le Monde or the world um, about uh, in France, where a number about a hundred women signed a, a document or treatise uh, regarding uh, sexual uh, activity and sexual harassment and what it consists of, and uh, it was kind of a, it's a cautionary tale in this uh, time. And these two things, I think, coincide and have a lot in common. Yeah, well, you had brought up that really it's under this theme of seduction and what is seduction? How does it play out and how do we read into it? And I think that's so important because even though these things are happening separately, they're very much related. And that's like a lot of things, I think, in our sexual lives. Yes, yes. The Maybe to begin with the uh, article in Le Monde, and it's approximately 100 women, though more have added on, signed uh, a document that in translation reads, uh, in quotes, we defend a freedom to annoy, indispensable to sexual uh, freedom. And it's not exactly annoy, it's to arouse in a certain kind of negative capacity. But um, it gets us talking about exactly what is involved in sexual seduction, what is harassment, what is seduction, and what is the interplay between individuals. These uh, women who signed the document in Le Mans then received, uh, uh, as might be expected, a lot of criticism saying that they were not really respecting that this current Me Too movement is focused on ending sexual violence, not ending sexual seduction. So we're really talking today, or we hope to talk about the interplay and the overlap between these areas and how to make it less confusing for everyone out there. Well, I think the idea there with the seduction that we talked about is that it really has to be a back and forth 
exchange. And harassment is really a one-directional experience of what some might imagine in their heads to be seduction. But when you look at it from an objective perspective, you're really seeing that it's only one person engaging in that fantasy. The fantasy is really one-directional. And I think it can switch between two people. They can be together, they can be on a date, they can have maybe shared fantasies taking place, even though there's not conversation. You know, their fantasies are coinciding. But when the individual fantasies go awry, and there's no communication, no conversation, things can go really wrong. And that's this Aziz story that you brought up. Well, exactly. I mean, I think what's so controversial. So what happened is this woman met Aziz at a party, and they eventually hit it off, and they exchanged numbers, and they set up a date. And so just starting with that premise, uh, you know, the title of the article was, I went on a date with Aziz Ansari, and it turned into the worst night of my life. And so I think it it really speaks to, at least from this woman Grace's perspective, she's going on a date, it's this wonderful thing, and then it really turns into this nightmare. And I think it's been very controversial because the way it's written, it's brought up a lot of women's experiences in their own lives with dating. And I think it's also done the same with a lot of men. And to see that the perspectives are often so different, you know, I think there are aspects of this where it raises a lot of questions that typically come up, you know, why didn't this person leave? Why didn't this person behave better? And and so it it's been really positive in that it's really bringing to light a lot of people's experiences and giving them a platform from which to talk about that. I also think it's been a challenge for people too, because it's it's such a complex issue and understanding that really we're talking about these different fantasies that are operating and colliding. I don't think a lot of people are looking at it from that perspective. And that's, I think, what we can add or hope to add and encourage others to uh, get involved in is thinking about your own sexual fantasies or lack thereof when you're in the middle of a date and the sexual fantasies, or lack thereof, of the other person, and really then finding ways to share them that really is part of the process and feels natural and engaging in conversation about them. Because I think a lot of that is where the seductive signaling is going on, is you're trying to indicate this fantasy to the other person, but if you're not actually aware that it's operating for you, it's very hard to engage in that process. And then obviously the other person is engaging in their own fantasy. And so when those are so different, but you're making an assumption in the beginning that you're in the same fantasy, I think that often creates a lot of conflict for people. There is a prejudice that you're really the talking about the sexual expectations and talking about your sexual fantasies really takes the magic in the moonlight. Hate to use one of the Woody Allen phrases now, but we've got to hand it to him for magic in the moonlight. It takes it out of 
the question, you know, if you're going to, you articulate what your fantasies are. But it seems very, very important. And in my experience as a woman involved in a lot of sexual relationships, the best ones have really included that, where we've been able to really share back and forth and feel the other person's fantasy. And that's really added to the entire experience. I think so. And I think to go back to this article with Aziz and Grace, it starts from the beginning where clearly she's envisioning them going on a date and then that taking off to who knows where. And he's clearly envisioning the date as sort of this vehicle to him getting to be able to sleep with her or have sex with her. And so already from the beginning, when they're getting together, they're already having these different fantasies operating. And I think from reading only what's stated in the article where she talks about, you know, that the whole thing, the whole date seems to be going by so fast, he seems to be rushing things. I think already her fantasy is getting derailed railed, but she's not necessarily aware of that. And so it already has her kind of in a in a place where it's hard for her to react to what's happening. And at the beginning of Grace's date, they're sharing similarities. They both have the same camera. That adds a moment of connection. They're eating dinner together. She's taking pictures of the food. These are first date experiences. Um, the place that it really seems to start to go awry, at least from Grace's perspective, is when he rushes her, in her words, out of the restaurant back to his apartment, they're really on to the next phase of it in some way, you know, but she's starting to get signals in her own body that this isn't something that she really wants to engage in. Well, I think the thing is really she's getting signals at the restaurant from her body that this is going too fast, but she doesn't know what to do about it. And obviously, she's still wanting her fantasy to play out. And so I think this is an important area to talk about because certainly when I talk with different clients and even among my friend group, it's a very divided place where the decision to go to the man's house very much signals something. And so a lot of times, particularly from men that I'm talking to, they say, well, if she didn't want to go, she should not have gone to his, or if she didn't want to have sex, she should not have gone to his apartment. Like that, it very clearly communicates one thing, especially because it's their first date. And many of the women that I work with in therapy, they do have trouble with that juncture. So deciding before they get on the date about whether or not they're going to go to an individual's house is important recognizing that when you're on a date, your reasoning and your overall functioning is diminished. Other yeah. things are playing a role. You know, your hopes, your wishes, your fantasies, your physical desires are all in play. Right. So thinking ahead of time, maybe about some guidelines for yourself on the date are important. This goes for both men and women, really, how to think about it. Because men come to me and they describe maybe not exactly what uh, Grace is describing, but they describe a date gone wrong. And they have some awareness that the girl didn't want to see them again. Everything was dropped out. All of this result in a very negative direction. So I think thinking ahead of time and then being aware of your own physical signals as you participate in the date. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's so important. One of the things that I've seen in the commentary is like, why didn't she just say, well, I'd rather go for a walk together or something to signal like, I'm still into you, but I don't want to be going to your house, your apartment. And I think it's so interesting that it centers around this idea that if you go to a guy's apartment, clearly you're just going to have sex. And so I think there are those expectations that are societal too that are put there. And so that's very confusing too. And they're different for men and women. You know, if a man goes to a woman's apartment, you know, there's a different expectation there, you know, and uh, there's different fears that can come up there with having a man in your apartment the first time not knowing them very well. I think the other thing to talk about with this date is that this couple does not really know each other very well. Right. They're strangers. Right. They're strangers. So the signaling you know, can be even more confusing. You know, it isn't somebody where you can rely on signals. And sex is a risk. You know, engaging in sexual activity is risky, Mm -hmm. not only for the reasons that we hear in our sex head classes, but because we don't know everything that's going on really with the other person. You know, we really are not in their heads and we don't have a good idea of their signaling. Well, I think you bring up a really good point there, too, which is that a lot of people think about the physical risk of sex, but they don't necessarily consider the emotional risks of it. And it really is an emotional risk there where you're putting yourself out there, but you're also trying to read a person that you've never read before. And so whether you're doing that consciously or unconsciously, it's a process that's going on. And that risk, I think, is harder for people to assess. Right. And then the couple gets to his apartment and the physical level really goes up very quickly. And we see Grace struggling even more with what to do at this point. You know, her thinking seems to really drop off. She's unsure really what to say. And it doesn't appear from what she's written that Aziz is asking a lot about her process, her fantasies, what she wants. So she's really, she can't express herself and he's not asking about it. Right. And I think he, we had talked about this too, is that he obviously is operating on his own fantasy where he's under the assumption that of course she's going to want to sleep with him. And that's what they're doing. They're going through these motions to get to the point where they're going to be having sex together. And so obviously he's sort of speeding that up, but he's under the assumption that they're already on the same page where clearly from hearing her perspective, they're not. She's not. They're not on the same page. And this is a point where you and I can talk about, as we do with a lot of our patients, it's important to really cue in to what the fantasy and what the game plan. It's not always talked about as fantasy. Right. But what tape is the person that you're there with really running at this point in time? It is sexy to try to find that out, and it's important. So both things are playing into this. You need to know. Well, you do need to know. And I mean, I think it, it, as we're talking about it, so many of my sort of college experiences or those of my friends, a lot of the experiences that I remember are a lot of girls wanting to hang out with someone, but not knowing whether or not it was a date. And instead of asking, instead of us learning how to ask and say, okay, is this a date or where is this going? Like, what are you thinking? Instead, just kind of going through with it and deciding after like, well, was that a date or was that not a date? I remember a lot of questions where it was, you know, was that a date or was that not a date? 
And instead, it's like we have these questions among ourselves, but not necessarily with the person you're engaging in in that behavior with. And I find that that's such a fascinating aspect of how we deal with these situations as we turn to our peer group, but then we don't use that to then help us have these conversations. We just stop the conversation there. Well, it gets back to the prejudice that I think if you have explicit conversations, or more explicit, they're never that explicit, about another person's sexual fantasies and expectations, you take away from the process of the sexuality and the seduction, when actually, I believe it's the exact opposite, that you enrich it in finding out what the other person is actually infantasizing about, what they're thinking, then you can share fantasies and really increase your closeness. Well, I think that's the thing is it actually brings you closer and people think that it will bring you farther away because it seems so rigid maybe or not magical a lot of the times, right? We were talking about people want that experience to be magical, but wouldn't it be much more magical to know that you both want to be on a date together rather than trying to figure out whether or not this person wants to date you or just have sex with you or whatever is going on? You're lost in these, where is this going? Or you're lost in your own, I'm imagining it it's this way, instead of really working to create something together. The other thing that seems to be playing into this situation with Grace and Aziz, and I'm sorry we have to talk about them both this way, but I think it's such a a useful subject, it's really about mutual seduction, is that Aziz is an older individual, he's about 10 years older, and when we're thinking about power imbalance, you know, we age is a factor there, especially when you're 23, 24, and the other person is 32, 33, very different age difference in terms of sexual knowledge. And Aziz is able to, through his his words and his emotions, his body motions, to articulate what he needs. He doesn't listen to her, but he does articulate what he needs. And I think if you're younger, or if you have less sexual knowledge than the other person you're dating, you have to be aware of that and maybe articulate that, talk about, it's really important to say what your fantasy and expectation will be, but you have to be aware of that imbalance in power. Yeah, I think you you do have to be aware of that. And I think that's a harder thing to be aware of because a lot of people want to believe, well, we had this great connection, so I'm sure it will just continue. And it it can really change in that more physical sexual arena just because of the experience and not necessarily because one person is trying to overpower the other person, but simply because you have that different experience, it creates that power imbalance. And I think also one of the traditional factors with men and women has been the physicality and the greater physical strength that many men have. And in a sexual interaction and seduction, that does play a role and has to be talked about too and worked on and engaged in. Because I, I a lot of the women I work with are very afraid that they will feel overpowered, that the physical strength, which is a power imbalance too, really will result in something that they don't want to do. And I think a lot of men in today's world don't want to overpower anybody. They don't want to be in that position. Right. Um, but I've also worked with men who do 
you know, they think women like the overpowering. They have a different view of it. And uh, you need to know if you're with a man exactly where he weighs in on this issue. Well, I think that's what's so hard about it, too, is that those aren't things that are easy to discover on a first date, right? And so it it really puts you in an information imbalance. And you, because as women generally, you are the less physically strong one, it does put you at a disadvantage. And so I think it, it makes the risk feel very unbalanced, too. Yeah, yeah one of the other uh, power imbalances that we really see here is Aziz has a lot of knowledge. So he's got the age, he's the the male gender, and then greater knowledge of uh, sexual interactions and behavior and years of experience. Uh, Grace mentions that he was active in the Me Too button. He's wearing a Time's Up button on, you know, mm-hmm. on some of the occasions. So these are, I think, important things to really be aware of. There's a lot of difference here in terms of the power balance and the date they're going on, even though they're having that initial experience of sharing and power equality, which is great. Right. I mean, their initial engagement seems to be wonderful. And and obviously, their text exchanges were great, which is what led to this date, presumably in the first place. I think the other thing to bring up, too, is really, you touched upon it a little bit there, is really that there are these beliefs about how seduction goes. And I think the idea of sort of the cat and mouse chase and the idea that you know, when a woman is saying no, it's just because, you know, she's not into it right now, or, you know, you can push that, that it's not really a hard limit. It's really, uh, oh, well, maybe she doesn't feel comfortable enough admitting that she feels sexually attracted to me. So I need to keep pushing this so that we get on the same page. And obviously, that's not what you want your no to mean. And it's also not necessarily, you know, going back to the idea of yes means yes. It's also, it has to be more than just yes. People are talking now about enthusiastic consent, where it's very (laughs) clear that the person you're engaging with is enjoying this. Because if you come from that perspective, when you look at her behavior, it's very clear she's not enjoying what's going on. At least the way she relates it in the vignette. Right. You know, and I think, uh, again, you know, we were not there and we don't know how this happened. And we're using this really as a chance to talk about how it could go better. Right. You know, if people really were aware of power imbalances in terms of sexuality and they talked and articulated their fantasies, there's a lot of things that could make a difference with this. Well, I think the idea even to recognize that these fantasies often are in play, because so often when you hear of a bad date, it's really a sign that your fantasy has gone awry and that you're not sure how to recoup from it. And so I think that's it's an important new framework to think about these things from. One of the other things that you and I talked about, Jennifer, with this date is how she feels about it afterwards. When she leaves the date, she's in the taxi going home, she's already able to sense her feelings and reactions, but she was not able to say them to Aziz and instead sat with him longer than she really wanted to because you and I thought that maybe she was unsure really about what her feelings went were and her fantasy hadn't taken place and she was kind of waiting for her fantasy to take place or unfold or something else to happen. 
I mean, I think that's the hard part is that when you're in that state, I described it as sounding like she's almost in a state of shock. She's not totally unaware, but she's not functioning at her full capacity. And she does take this moment to go into the bathroom, which I think signals that she has at least some awareness that she's not fully able to deal with what's in front of her. But then she comes out of the bathroom and just sort of gets sucked back into Aziz's fantasy again. And so, you know, that is, I think, an important moment where she needs to be able to, in that moment, recognize, like, this is not going the way I want it to. I've tried some ways to make it go in a different direction, and it's not happening, and I need to get myself out of here. And this is really about how do you shift mid-course right? when you're in the middle of something like that. One great idea is to get a moment or two alone, Mm -hmm. whether you go make coffee, volunteer to make coffee, or you're going to look out the window, maybe make a cell phone or text. There's a lot of things you can think of that are going to get you out of it a bit. right? But that offers you an opportunity to check in with yourself and really see where you are with this process. And that was the other thing we brought up, too, is is getting to a place where you recognize if you're already feeling this way, this is not a place from which to be engaging in the physical act of sex or seduction, you know, that that you're really not in a place where that's going to be a good decision for you. Right. Um, you know, as we talk about this, you know, I made the joke about Woody Allen and the magic and the moonlight film, and I, I do think that that uh, film points to an important concept about seduction, that there has to be some magic. But there's also a lot of underground work going on with magic and the moonlight. There's a lot of little check-ins. There's a lot with yourself, with the other person, uh, sharing of fantasies. All of that plays a key role in this. Well, I think that's actually what allows the magic to happen, exactly. you know, and, and people don't want to look at the framework for it. They just want to see the magic. But it, it really needs to be the scaffolding that's there before you can have that magic, because otherwise it's just two people's different fantasies colliding. And it's interesting that uh, Catherine Deneuve was one of the women uh, in France who signed the Le Monde petition or document. And um, she is known really for her film portrayals of amazing seductions, you know, and amazing situations. And she and the others have really talked about that they don't want to end that sexual freedom that women in France especially feel. And uh, I think in France, women read more. There are more books available for women to read about sexual experiences. They share more with their friends about sexual experiences of seduction. And seduction is a very important part of a French woman's life. And I talk a little bit about that because of my family background and visiting there often. Uh, But it's a part that really has to be handled in a safe, uh, equitable, and equal way. And uh, it doesn't involve harassment or bad feelings or negativity or all of that, these things that we're talking about, where violence is a part of uh, seduction. It really should not be from that perspective. 
Right. And I mean, that brings up a whole other kind of aspect where I think in the United States in particular, there is this association where danger and a little bit of hint of violence is seen as very sexy. And so that that makes it very hard then for the seduction process because of that belief, you know, and so Obviously, this isn't in all situations, but I definitely think that plays into it some where people feel they have to take on these roles or people are looking for someone to take on these roles without understanding the actual risk that is involved with it. I think violence and power over um, play a role in people's sexual fantasies. And there's no doubt about it. You, All the years I've listened to them, all the books I've read about it, but how does that work with a real person sitting next to you or lying next to you? How does it uh, really take place together? And that's what we're talking about. You may be having this violent fantasy. You might even be able to share that with a person that you feel close to uh, and then work out you know, a way that it could work for the two of you together in this moment. Right, but that's a joint activity. It's a joint activity. I think men uh, often have the misconception that a little bit of sexual edge or violence or aggression needs to be part of their sexuality. What we do with that as a culture now, I think that's one of the things that's really up for question and debate. You know, what do we do with that idea? When does it cross over into something dangerous and aggressive and really harmful to the parties involved? Well, I think along those lines, too, something I was discussing with my husband is if you really dig deep down, especially men with daughters, you see it. But a lot of men do inherently see male sexuality, maybe not their own, but male sexuality as threatening. And I think that's an important thing to discuss because then how do you build a successful, thriving, healthy sexual life for yourself when you also view that sexuality as dangerous? And this gets back, I think, to the earlier part of our conversation, which is really both parties have to be able to articulate that. Right. Maybe even talk about it. And a man might say, you know, I know I come on hard and strong and I'm that way. It kind of turns me on. But how do you feel about this? Mm -hmm. I mean, what's it doing for you? You're shaking, but you seem to be cooperating. You know, I mean, there are ways to ask about these things that give you insight into where it's really going for both people. Mm -hmm. And I think being able to read body signals too, teaching people that that is an important aspect of these dynamics is so crucial because for whatever reason, it does seem that in a lot of these situations when someone is very uncomfortable, whether man or woman, a lot of the times they aren't in that moment necessarily able to articulate, but they are giving off signals. And so part of it is we need to build a society where we see that engagement as part of the interaction. Absolutely, Jennifer. Well, this has been a very interesting conversation, and we hope to have more like it, and we'd really like to have our listeners' feedback on it, because I think everybody has ideas about how these conversations can unfold. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Lynn. Thank you. Come on. Let's talk about